0: This episode is recorded in front of a live studio audience.
1: You're listening to The Art of Comedy with Sandra Carusi on Peach Radio. Kevin White is a writer, producer, and showrunner. He has worked on some of Canada's top scripted comedies, including This Hour Has 22 Minutes, Corner Gas, and he's currently an executive producer on Schitt's Creek. He was also an executive producer and co-creator of CBC's Insecurity and CTV's Dan Vermeer. Later this year, Kevin begins pre-production on CBC's adaptation of In's Choice, award-winning play, Kim's Convenience. Welcome, Kevin.
0: Oh, thank you. Woo! What an intro. I couldn't that... have written a better one myself. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. I did write that. Not for this. I'm not full of myself, but I had to do it for a bio. But well read.
1: Was that... Can yeah. I read with the best of them or yeah. what?
0: Yeah. You know,
1: see, I'm already excited having a writer. You're my first writer. Oh, wow. Oh, gosh. Things...
0: Things are really slow at the <laughs> podcast. We've already moved into writers.
1: Okay. Uh, off the top, I know this question's been asked, but Schitt's Creek, how yes. did that get by CBC execs, the name Schitt's Creek?
0: Well, I don't think it got by them. They always knew that was an upfront part of the series from the mm-hmm. get-go and Eugene and Dan never wavered and no. they said that's what it's going to be. And, you know, because it's it's a legitimate surname, you can mm-hmm. look it up in phone books and it's the reason they bought the town. It's not It's mm-hmm. not an accident. It's very deliberate why they bought the town because they thought it was a funny sounding name. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it, you know, folds into the story and the premise and it's mm-hmm. like, let's all get over it and call mm-hmm. this what it should be called. Mm-hmm. So I I'm... like it too for another reason, which is it seems like a very, like when I heard about it, I went, oh boy, this mm. sounds broad. Mm-hmm. And so the name is a bit of a... It's misleading, I think, given the tone of the show and the tone of the kind of stuff that the levies like to do. So I felt like it was a good thing to sort of mess with people's expectations about what the show is going to be.
1: So you actually started as, a, one thing we didn't hear about in the bio is that you were a stand up for a little bit.
0: I was. I would say- You
1: wince when you say that, like it hurt.
0: Yeah, I wasn't very good and I didn't I didn't put a lot, you know, there's, there's people who do it and they, they really hone their craft and they work it and they mm-hmm. tour and- I didn't do enough of that. So I have always had tremendous admiration for stand-ups. I love it. I love the form. I just never did it quite enough to be good, mm-hmm. but I like it.
1: And how did you know you, did you use it as a launching pad to do writing or how did you know you want to get into writing?
0: Um, well, I, ca- I came from sketch. I did sketch with a guy, another writer, well now writer, Mark Ellis, an actor mm-hmm. writer. He did Flashpoint and X Company. And so we were comedy partners. We met through Ryerson and the Riot Review there. And following that, he wanted to act. So I did stand up because I thought, well, how else what else do I do without a partner? You mm-hmm. stand up. It seems interesting. And, you know, for a writer, it's fun because you just can make up anything and go out there and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And then Mark Farrell had seen me do some stand up mm-hmm. and he asked if I would submit something for 22 minutes.
1: And that was your first writing gig.
0: It was. I make that sound easier than it was. It was. It was a very was hard
1: <laughs> attempt okay, so what is to the, convince
0: Mark to hire me.
1: <laughs> what? Is, and I know Mark Farrell because he, when I started in comedy, he was at uh, Laugh Resort on Lombard, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he's an accomplished stand-up and and accomplished writer now. Um, what is the process? Uh, thank you for bringing that up. What is the process to become a writer? Aside, I mean, th- that doesn't happen often where somebody asks you to submit something.
0: No, and I think he regretted it soon after (laughs) that. But I don't think there's one process for writing. I'd done some writing in school. I'd done some writing for radio. I may have even done some writing for TV Ontario at that point because I was working as a producer there, an associate producer Mm. in in the children's department. I think I'd written an episode of Polka Dot Shorts (laughs) by then. (laughs) So, you know, Mark had seen me perform. He liked what I did. He was really short on writers that season. So I submitted a pack. I'd been doing some writing, oh, right, for the ill-fated Shay Carla on the Comedy mm-hmm. Network. I'd worked on that. Carla for, Collins Show. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. We did 10 or 11 episodes. So I'd done some writing. And then I just submitted samples to Mark. Uh, the first two didn't really go anywhere. Uh, I wrote a lot of jokes, but none of them very good. And then a mutual friend said, you should try again. Because I he sort of said, you know, I don't need to see anymore," And he... It it didn't look like he was going to hire me, and then I tried again and really worked hard on the jokes and tried to polish them up as best I could. And I got a three-week trial and then stayed for seven seasons.
1: Wow! Yeah. Let's talk about polishing a joke. So that sounds so casual, like you know, in some other line of work, I was I just kept polishing the fender till it got shiny. Mm -hmm. It's not like that in writing, as we know, and it's so hard. You know, you have a joke. What is the method to go about? What was involved in getting the joke better? What did you have to go through? What was the mind's process to get it to where you felt good about it?
0: Well, I remember Mark had given me some notes on the first two packs that I'd sent. And I really tried to think about those. Um, watching more of the show and trying to think, okay, what's a news story? What's a subject matter that's actually, I could hear these people actually doing. Mm-hmm. And I, my initial packs were, Done too quickly. They were a little absurdist. They didn't make much sense. They seemed funny to me, but not to (laughs) people who, you know, read the news and think and live. I, you know, it was too much (laughs) in my own head. So I went back and I only submitted, like in the first packs, I'd submitted, you know, 50, 60 jokes, which at the time seemed like a lot to me because I hadn't really done it before. But in the last pack, I sent maybe 15. Mm. I'd cut them way down. I'd worked them. I thought, oh, this could be phrased better this is you know always trying to keep it as simple and short as possible seem to be the key and that's a hard thing to do mm-hmm. and what and trying to figure out is there you know you think oh there's something funny there and then you sort of know what you want the joke to be and there's the clumsy way that you're saying it out of the gate and then you just try and is there faster is there quicker is there a slightly different word mm-hmm. and just keep working it until
1: You touched on something very important. And I want to go right back to it. You said, you know, about life, uh, you know, my I experiencing life or whatever in order Mm -hmm. to write. And I think with writers, either stand up or comic writers, you're in that world. And you're not leading a typical life, like perhaps the audience you're skewing to. So how do you stay? I mean, you are married, you have children, Mm -hmm. so you do have that. Mm -hmm. But how do you stay, I I guess, in the mind of the audience on what is going to appeal to them? Or do, I'm not you, sure. do you even go there?
0: I think it's really good to get out of the industry and the writing and mm-hmm. you know, go and do something that isn't watching a movie or isn't watching a comedy. you know, mm-hmm. things that I feel like a lot of people have said, just go and garden, go and try and buy something at the store, right. You know, don't do anything related to something creative so that you are just out in the world, mm-hmm. you know, seeing experiencing, yeah, experiencing yeah. people and running into people and doing whatever. So I felt I, or, but though at the time I knew, you know, when I got hired, I needed to immerse myself. I was on a three week trial and I was very close to not getting renewed. Like, you know, you measure your success by how much you get in the show. And the first two weeks I did not get a lot. I got some jokes. I think I even got something maybe my first week in the show. I can't quite remember, but I didn't get a lot. And so i really focused on only immersing myself in the you know the thinking of the show and the thinking of the producers and the thinking of what i thought the audience was and i watched all the previous season in my spare time at the cbc they had like a screening room you could go so i in that particular case i really did try to immerse myself in what is the tone of this show how do the four people on the desk really speak what do they like to talk about and joke about and then start to cater oh this would be a good mary joke this would be a good rick joke this mm-hmm. would be a good i'm dating myself by saying who was in the cast yeah. back then but it was the original cast for my the the last season of the original cast was my first season on the show
1: that must have been exciting it was to have that stellar it to work cast. with
0: rick kathy mary mm-hmm. and greg was great
1: and we know them by first name that's how good they are uh-huh. um so this hour has 22 minutes the muhammad sketch that, oh yeah, um, recently that was uh-huh. uh, SNL had done a similar one uh-huh. about the game show <laughs> drawing yeah, Muhammad. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, you weren't on the writing team for Mm-mm. that, but what is your view on that? Do you think it was ripped off? Did SNL rip it off, or does it, you know, sometimes, it, you know, comics say it all the time, sometimes a premise is just.
0: Personally, I don't think it was a ripoff. I I think it's coincidental. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of comedic brains are reading the Mm -hmm. same papers. I think it was Paul Mather who said something like this on his Facebook post, which is you're reading the same material. You're thinking, you know, you have some of very similar references in your head. You know, I think comics like game shows. (laughs) Like You know, know, there's a lot of sketches around games and playing games and things you can or can't do. Whether it's Keen and Peel and a guy outs himself accidentally in a mm-hmm. in a friendly game or whatever it is, so I feel like it's just an a coincidence.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm glad you addressed that because sometimes people. I'm just going to call them lay people, so non-comics or non-comic mm-hmm. comic writers, civilians, um, civil, you know, the pedestrians, um, the people who pay our bills mm-hmm. um they'll hear a comic or see a sketch and well, i came up with that and they got that for me or whatever <laughs> and it's so nice and refreshing for someone like you to say yeah the premises are happen like you know you're not that original folks and so how do you try to stay original when you're writing for a sitcom
0: i think the more personal you are the more you draw from things that really happen to you you avoid that and but you have to think about what it is and when you when I say things that happen to you, you have to think about the things that don't, you know, there's a bunch of things that we all do that happens to everybody. And so you have to filter some of those out. So if you're running into a rude bus driver or someone who was bumped into you on the streetcar, that's not personal enough or unique enough, unless there's some way that you reacted to it, which is really unique to you. Mm-hmm. And you did something very strange that no one would do. Mm. But if you draw on those things more and more instead of thinking, "What do we all find frustrating, it's like you don't worry about what we all find frustrating. You try and dig down deep and say, "What really ticked me off?" or what made me lose my? Shit? what made me look like an mm-hmm. <laughs> I think the best stories and the funniest stories are the ones in which you are the in the situation mm-hmm. and I think the writing skill required to make that funny and to be able to see yourself from outside and expose that and bring it up so that we can all laugh and go, oh yeah, I lost it on my wife when she did that or Mm -hmm. she lost it on me because I was being really stupid about something Mm -hmm. versus it's certainly something I've noticed with writers in the room. I feel like the younger writers tend, not always, but tend to tell stories about how Someone out there is an asshole making their life harder. And the senior funnier people, in my opinion, are the ones who are saying, I'm the asshole out there making life harder for other people. And I know it and I'm sorry, but here's why yeah. I did it. And <laughs> Fascinating. So I think that's that's ultimately going to be funnier.
1: Well said. Thank you. That's the key right there to comedy right there. I think that's the evolution. That's something, you know, any comic would aspire to is to get to that next level, I think, and the way you just articulated. Very simple concept. You know?
0: It is, but it's hard. It's hard to have the either desperation or, I guess, candor to really look at uh, what you did and what were the circumstances and why did the people around you react or trigger the thing. I mm-hmm. mean, that's hard
1: because mm-hmm.
0: you might have to admit some things to yourself that you don't want to mm-hmm. admit.
1: But that's comedy right there, isn't it?
0: It is. It is. True. It's a lot of healing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that word truth is very elusive and, pe- you know, people oh, I'm just being honest. Yeah, and It's like, okay, <laughs> you're being honest about what you think of me, mm-hmm. but <laughs> are you being honest about what you think of yourself? And I think that's a tougher question to answer.
1: Something you brought, discussed earlier on writing for this hour has 22 minutes, very different than writing for a sitcom because you have to get in the mind of Mary or... Uh, yeah, Rick partly. Yeah.
0: Or talk Mary into being articulating that- something you want to say and feel like... You know, you might, you're going to share things with all the cast, Mm -hmm. opinions or ideas or points of view. So it's a, it's a coming together of things, hopefully, but sorry, I cut you off.
1: No, that's okay. As any artwork. You
0: do have to write to the voice of other people as well.
1: Right. That's very difficult to get in their mind to Mm -hmm. be a writer. That's why I was so excited about this because this is completely different than stand up and and everything else. People need to understand when you're writing for yourself versus writing for someone Mm -hmm. else. Has, um. And, of course, no names. But have you written something and then as an artist going, ooh, they totally didn't deliver it the way I wanted them to. That is not what I meant. But it's fine. It's good. It worked. Or it did not work. And it would have worked had they just followed what you did said.
0: No, I think if someone's not... I haven't really experienced that. I can't think of like, oh. I mean, yeah. there's there's lines. There's intentions that sometimes are missed. And I've found more often than not the actor or the performer saying it is uh, they want to do right by the writer and they Mm -hmm. want it and they want to know. And if they don't, uh, if they do interpret something a different way, sometimes that can work or sometimes it doesn't and they feel bad and they go, Oh, oh." so it depends on the kind of relationship you have with the person. But I've been, I remember on corner gas, lots of times we do, we'd work on it, work on it. Brent's very busy. He's acting. He's um, you know, he's got to do edits later on anyway he'd do a pass after we'd all worked on the script and we'd look at something and go huh well that doesn't seem as funny and then you'd hear it in the read-through we wouldn't change it because it was brent's thing and then you'd go oh oh that's really funny oh. and we didn't hear it we read it wrong in our heads we didn't read wow. it out loud and at the read-through you know some little thing that doesn't look like anything on the page is really funny and you go oh Right. <laughs> so we miss intentions all the time. The writers wow. miss other writers' intentions. Actors can miss a writer's intention. Wow. And that's why you have in a TV show, or at least the ones I've been lucky enough to work on, a lot of meetings where you go, is this what you know?" directors are asking? This is what I was thinking. And mm-hmm. you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or no, not quite. We were thinking this. And sometimes the writer's interpretation is not as funny as an actor's or a director's. They'll come up with something that's better. And so you go, oh, I think, you know, of the two or three options, I think that one is better. Let's do that instead. I'll change it. Or so I, I feel like if you know it's harder in a sketch situation like on twenty two because it's fast and you've got four or five days to put it all together, and you're going to miss mm-hmm. some things, and you don't have time to finesse everything. Mm. So you know, if there were copy jokes, you know the desk jokes that are very short, mm-hmm. and sometimes if those those were the ones that either make or break, they're they're sort of a one hit wonder. And if the person on the desk flubs or is distracted or something else happens, you know, you could lose a joke like that because mm-hmm. it just didn't get the performance. And by then the joke's out of the bag. So the mm-hmm. audience is not going to laugh, you know, the same way they did before. So but what can you do? That's why you have lots of them.
1: Right. Stock, right? Um, one thing you brought up. Interesting. Ha- the intention of a joke versus a writer, an actor and sometime an actor could pick up the intention. But more often than not, it's it's. The writer, right? Mm-hmm. Have you ever watch award shows where all this fluff is about, um, you know, best comedic actor in a lead role, mm-hmm. and then you're sitting there as a writer going, "Yeah, you know how much of that?" Like I'm talking about the yeah. stuff we'll see out of L. A. And, and you know, yeah. How do you feel? Do you ever feel slighted? I, I think that's got to be natural.
0: What? That an actor's getting an award for saying funny things that a writer wrote?
1: Right.
0: <laughs> it takes a lot of work. Like I feel, over time, I've I feel like the actor equation, the chemistry, the performers you get to deliver, it's hugely important. Mm-hmm. And it's a very it takes a great deal of skill and comedic timing and charisma. So I feel like any performer that can lift and deliver mm-hmm. consistently, mm-hmm. that's a that's great skill and okay. a lot of work and they might make it look easy but it's not. And so I I don't feel that way. Uh, Am I being honest? I think so.
1: Sitcom writing room. What's it look like? Who's in it? How many people? Let's take corner gas.
0: Okay. It varies. Most of the rooms I've been in have had between four and as many as eight to 10 people, but that's rare. The biggest rooms I experienced were on 22 minutes when we would have Mm. a fairly large staff to begin with and then a bunch of people who are coming in for two week trials, maybe with an eye to next year.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: So there's a couple times we had ten or twelve people, makes for it's it's good in a way, but it's also busier, noisier, mm-hmm. you know. But you generate more material, no question.
1: So whiteboards. Um, Somebody uh, throws an idea up there.
0: Twenty-two. We didn't. It was all very solitary. Oh, I was quick. It was such. It was. It wasn't that collaborative. Occasionally, okay. we'd go off and say, "Oh, this might be fun. Let's try this." Uh, I remember working with Mark Critch quite a bit and Paul May there sometimes. And, you know, you'd, you, if you had an idea that you both shared and thought you could pull it off, then you'd work together. But in the sitcom writing rooms, yes, I'm a big fan of whiteboards. I like as many as they can fit in the room. Mm-hmm. I like them better than cards, but I think cards have a place. So if it was up to me, like on the Shits Creek room, we have a room that's uh, three walls are... Uh, whiteboards, and then one wall is a corkboard for cards and sort of laying out the season. So when we have something sort of good and fixed, that was my tummy. Could you hear that? Mm -hmm. Um, We put those up. And so we we sort of have 13 episodes and we start filling in Mm. holes with cards, things that... And then on the whiteboards, it's it's beats, it's anything that feels worthy of writing down and remembering. Mm -hmm. I mean, we also have someone madly typing everything that we say Mm. and... Uh, we take pictures of the boards but it's it's can get quite mechanical like it's really I think it's very important to put things up to push yourself to put words on cards on whiteboards whatever but something that everyone can see and that is public and up there and shared is uh, I feel an important part of the process so that everyone can look and go okay there's that thing keeps people focused on the same page. the group thought yeah
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then It's brainstorming from there?
0: Yeah. You pick a problem to work on and try and focus on, okay, so that's the first part. That seems funny. Mm -hmm. What happens next? Or if that happens next, how does that affect other things that we Mm -hmm. want to have happen? So you try and isolate a problem or a situation and see what could grow from there. I like to talk a fair bit. I don't actually, but I feel like in the room (laughs) to make things happen, one has to. You know, you want some silence so people can think, mm-hmm. but you also want to guide the thinking mm-hmm. and have everyone. The hardest thing and the most effective thing is to have all brains working on the same issue. Mm. But the problem is, people get distracted or people don't have a solution for that problem, so they suggest something wildly different that may or may not be relevant to the problem you're trying to solve. And that's when things can get tough because it's like, okay, okay, yeah, that's funny, but we're here and we have this idea let's work that through Mm
1: -hmm. because
0: otherwise you can be all over the place and trouble strikes and you don't get very far
1: is it chaotic if you have the 13 storyboards or cards up Mm -hmm. and you're saying okay um x character no let's do that in number eight yeah like how do you do that how do you decide something like that
0: well you you're making it up as you go along and you mm. say, okay, well, we really want so-and-so to end their relationship with this person. Mm-hmm. You know, we want Alexis and Mutt to be here. Uh, that's a Shit's Creek reference. You know, depending on who your characters are, you want mm-hmm. them to be in relationship or have a job by this point or whatever. So you have that sort of mapped out across 13 episodes and you think mid-season this will happen. And then about episode eight or nine, we probably think this will happen. And so you just fit in the stories accordingly. And then if you have a suggestion, oh, Toga Party. Oh, well, that that mm-hmm. sounds like it might be more fun after this big event of the season has mm. happened where this and this and this can happen. It'd be fun to see those five people at the Toga Party. Mm-hmm. Don't worry, there is no Toga Party in any of the shows that I'm working on currently. <laughs> but, Too bad. Um, so it's those kinds of things. You try and figure out, will this fit? Will this not fit? Mm. We had uh, other ideas. I feel like... Ideas that we like eventually morph into something that show up in the, the show. So we had a couple ideas. I'm trying to think how not to give away stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of season one stuff, maybe. Um,
1: I like the billboard. Are you talking about Shit's Creek? Yeah. The billboard with the sister.
0: Yeah. And that came out of a <laughs> statue Dan had seen in a real place somewhere, really? a town. Yeah. And from a certain angle, it was a young boy lifting his sister up to pick fruit. But from a certain angle, it looked like he was entering her from behind. Oh,
1: my gosh.
0: And we all thought it was a really funny picture. And so this idea was, what if this town sign had something Mm -hmm. similar that could be interpreted a certain way? And so, yeah, I remember that afternoon. That was a very fun afternoon. There was a lot of pitching, uh, no pun intended, um, (laughs) for that story. And it was very funny. And a lot of what existed came into being one afternoon after seeing that picture and talking about it. But the, the other part of that is that that story almost went away. So one of our favorite sort of landmark, <laughs> seminal. Almost didn't make it? Yeah, oh it almost went away because we weren't sure how to tell that story, the number of beats in the cell. Like it was really that one conversation between Johnny and Roland Chris Elliott's character. Mm-hmm. It was really the meat of it. That was really funny. Just the incredulous Johnny looking at this, hoping someone sees what he sees. <laughs> but it's it's hard to, as we got into it, it's like, how do you stretch that out over an, over an episode? Like mm-hmm. what else is happening in the episode? Right. And we thought, is there enough? Is this a cold open? Is this, anyway, we got it to a about the right length, but it ended up being a smaller story within other things going on. Still very memorable. Uh, but we also thought, is this too big? Is this too broad? Is this too much?
1: You is know, it risky? Are... That was risky. I yeah, saw it. Was it was just CBC. like, is it
0: too is it too much? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there was we didn't want it to go away ultimately, but mm. th- there was an afternoon where it was almost, well, let's take that out. And I was like, <laughs> no.
1: It made us laugh. So um your role um executive producer versus writer. Mm-hmm. What how do you have to look at things just based on what we were just talking about, for example, it how
0: depends. Are... Cause the name can be re- deceiving the executive producer mm-hmm. title on some, for example, on corner gas, I was a supervising producer, but I did a lot more than, uh, well, I was involved in other areas than just writing in a way where on Schitt's Creek, I'm mostly involved with the writing and I have some input with respect to casting, hiring, uh, some other decisions, locations, but so when you're, uh, you know, the producing role, for example, on corner gas, you're involved with everything you sort of, I always see the job of the showrunner as making sure the script is as good as it can be and writing or working with writers to produce that script. And then making sure the intention of the room mm. and of the writing staff mm-hmm. is honored by the other departments. And that's not to say that they can only do what, like I said, it's collaborative effort. We have some idea, um, you know, this is our best guess. (laughs) That's what the script Mm -hmm. is of how this can go. And then we take it to the other departments and say, okay, so what's the best, you know, we have a bar here. What's the bar look like? We'll walk you through what we were thinking and then hear back from the production designer costumes. What are they wearing? How goofy an outfit are they Mm -hmm. for this goofy outfit scene? um all these decisions are made where we try and you know capture the intention of the original script and if we get better ideas from other departments or cast or directors we take those
1: does the cast come up with it well let's take schitt's creek for an example mm-hmm. um uh, dan levy created the show mostly with his yes. dad right so does he bring most of the ideas forward do you find because he has a vision. Yeah,
0: he has a lot of ideas about how it should go. I mean, mm-hmm. equally, Eugene has, you know, Dan tends to think more for stories for, you know... uh Youth? Yeah, well, the younger part of the cast, so David, Alexis, mm-hmm. uh, Stevie, Twyla, mm-hmm. and Eugene's, you know, thinking more about Johnny, mm-hmm. Moira, and um, Roland and Jocelyn. So... But, you know, we we mix all the time and, you know, Dan will certainly pitch lots of funny Johnny stories. Um, so but it, I think you were going to say something about the cast input, because on this show more than others, we also have Catherine. Mm-hmm. We have Chris. We have a lot of experienced cast mm-hmm. and experienced improvisers. So uh, Catherine especially has contributed so many great things to Moira's voice and character. And I feel like this year, especially, we got a chance to be more, work more closely with Catherine to really sharpen that voice and, and get the most out of it. And, She's
1: fantastic. Yeah. Shining, and, and, shine, shine.
0: And she, along with the others, are really interested in playing different things from episode to episode. And, mm-hmm. and so it's a challenge to the writing staff not to fall back on mm-hmm. the same things. Oh, Mara will react this way. It's like, well, does she have to? Mm-hmm. You know, could we see a different side of her? So I feel like. Catherine's been great in helping you know, us see greater possibilities for how she reacts and
1: in co- In Corner Gas, as well as Schitt's Creek, that's a small town kind of backdrop. And uh, um, in Corner Gas in particular, there's references. But um, do you try to maintain it as a small town anywhere? It's not necessarily... Because there is Canadiana involved with yeah. it, but it could be small town Alabama, right? In both cases.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've always... Figured it's northeast, mm-hmm. North America. <laughs> um, I mean, it's very much like Melonville. It's you know a sort of everywhere kind of place. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we've deliberately tried to keep it accessible to anyone and not get too distracted about where it is. It's just it's a place that's very different than where they came from. Much smaller, much more remote. But I mean, it's it's hard to it's it's got. A Canadian feel, mm-hmm. that town. I think
1: Roland and Schitt's Creek. Chris Elliott is he not? Is he Canadian? He's not. Oh, he's not Canadian. Okay, because we I mean, I still remember him way back from Letterman, and oh yeah. Oh my gosh, he goes back. I think a lot of us have points of reference when it comes mm-hmm. to that actor, and he's so strong in Schitt's Creek as well. Yeah. Um. Anyway, that was just a personal comment. <laughs> Actually, it's going nowhere. I just really no, like he's Chris a, Elliott. <laughs> no, he's a
0: great guy, and he's uh, he's incredibly. Uh, generous, I think, and very appreciative of any words that are given to his character. Really, I, yeah, he's incredible because he very looks very like guy. one,
1: as you said, who improvises a lot. So, how mm-hmm. much is that him? How much is it written for him?
0: The scripts mostly stay to the printed page, except I mean that there's lot there's there's room. They they put the scene on its feet and they they try things and things that seem extraneous go away or things that are a little clunky they trim. So those things happen on the floor. And I mean, the guts of the scene tend to stay the same, but mm-hmm. a little finessing here and there.
1: Do you have your own ideas? Um, obviously, all comics do, but your own uh, of show ideas that you want to that always are coming up. You know, comics, when I have standups in here, they're always talking about something new going on in their mind. Mm-hmm. How about you? How does what's going on up there? <laughs> Not much. (laughs) (laughs) Is it scary scary as it looks?
0: I find, I mean, I've got a couple of show ideas. One that, you know, some I've tried to sell or I'm thinking of trying to put out there. Right now, I'm interested in playwriting. I've Hmm. worked with a couple of, I've had the chance to work with a couple of playwrights who are also working in TV. And I've always enjoyed theater. So I'm kind of curious to see if,
1: how it translates? Yeah, yeah.
0: But also, to, I think it's also a means for me to try and write something that's both funny and dramatic, which I haven't really done. I mean, mm-hmm. Shits Creek is the closest in a way, because and Kim's will also be of a tone that has some poignancy or some moments or some vulnerability in a way that you know we didn't explore that much on some of the other shows that I worked on.
1: So Kim's, you're referring to Kim's Convenience, which Mm -hmm. is a play that is being adapted um, to the screen on CBC. Yes. And you are leading that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's about a convenience store in Regent's Park.
0: Yes. And a family. On Parliament Street, yeah. Uh, So it's about the patriarch of a Korean-Canadian family who's opened the store, you know, he runs it with his wife, and they have two sort of grown kids, uh, early 20s, and how they're you know, adapting or how they've adapted to life in Canada and how the kids have obviously, who are very North American in their sensibilities mm-hmm. versus the parents who are a little more old school Korean. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm working with Ince Choi, the the playwright, mm-hmm. and we've been for about the last year now. We wrote a couple of episodes in development, and now we're trying to figure out what the first season looks like. And mm. it's been really fun.
1: The play's been successful. Very, yeah. And and throughout Canada, it's... it's uh...
0: Yeah, it's a great play. I've seen it a couple times. Not
1: not just because
0: I work on it. I saw mm-hmm. it spontaneously about 2 years wow, ago. Oh, interesting. And really loved it. And I found it you know very funny and I cried a couple times both times that I saw it. So I I like that mix of laughter and tears and so it'd be nice to be able to try and replicate that a little bit on TV.
1: I think it'll be definitely identifiable to the audience, right? I mean, that's the quintessential Canadian so. story right there. Yeah,
0: it seems that no matter where you come from, there's some element. To, I mean, we're all newcomers, so mm-hmm. that's good.
1: Um, do you think this is, I don't mean, think this is whacked, but who cares? Um, do you think about how funny you are? Do you think you're funny enough? All do the you, time.
0: Yeah. I'm amazingly funny. Yeah. And it's hard <laughs> to live with. No, I think uh, I've always felt like my wife is funnier than I am. Oh, yes. I think most people are funnier than, I feel like the, I knew a lot of people who are far funnier than me, but, How do you gauge,
1: like, I guess if they make you laugh, right? Yeah, like I went
0: out west this winter and saw an old friend who I worked for for a long time, and he's just a really great storyteller. He's really funny and he's very charming and he's a contractor, but he's also super bright and funny. And I just think, and then I have another friend, very similar. The only difference is that they like to do that in their spare time and they Mm. do other things. And I think that whereas I just wanted to do that more often, I think the other big difference between civilian funny people and working funny people is you know you just keep at it everyone writes bad stuff everyone writes mostly bad stuff but if you're willing to go beyond and write 10 bad things and get the 11th thing that's okay then you know that's probably when you're going to become a working comic or a writer you just push through in a way that most of us when we're not thinking of it as career we just we fold up mm-hmm. and say, oh, that wasn't funny. I'm not funny. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, no, you're not funny yet. Keep going. Mm-hmm. Try another thing mm-hmm. and another thing and another one. Okay, still not funny. Keep going. <laughs> oh, like, that's man. what it takes. Oh, man. You just have to trust. write. There's, yeah. You know, it's a, I don't know. It's a less than 10% hit rate. Wow. And compared to baseball, that's, <laughs> I don't know. You know, baseball's tough too, so.
1: what? Well, you know, I think you already touched on it, but how do you stay inspired when you're just, come up with you know stuff that you're not happy with or nobody else is like how do you keep going especially with comedy it's difficult
0: i think it's really hard and depending on where you are in your career Mm -hmm. certain things can hold you over right you know little gains that you had Mm -hmm. can help you stay focused interesting but you know so for example you get you do a showcase or i don't know you get a shot at just for laughs or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that goes well. And then maybe nothing much happens for a year or two. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Again, I didn't do the the stand-up thing. But mm-hmm. you know, there's little gains and failures, and it depends what you focus on, first of all. Can you stay focused on the gains? And then I was unemployed for a couple of years not that long ago, just before shits. And even though I was ready for it, the shows I'd worked on were, came to an end and I knew that there was probably going to be a period of transition. It was, it was longer than I'd wanted. It was about six months to a year, longer than I'd hoped I'd mm-hmm. planned for it. But it was very hard on me. And I was very at loose ends and my confidence you know, was at an all-time low. And you just don't know because you just mm-hmm. keep sending stuff out and no one's really reacting. I wanted to do some performing just to get in front of people, but mm. it was really hard to get on a stage somewhere. Mm. And, you know, there's lineups a mile long for people who want to perform in stages around town, which is great. Mm. But so it's hard, and the things that you focus on to try and keep you going, and I, and I had I was lucky enough to have an agent who was encouraging me, but I still or a family. Mm-hmm. And if you're by yourself, it's super hard. And even with all those people around me, it still was really hard. So
1: what did you focus on? What did inspire you? How do you go through those stretches? The best thing is
0: to keep writing, Mm. but it's long and slow, you know, to come up with anything new, you're probably gonna be at it for four months, minimum. And you just hope that, oh, I hope this is good. And then you finally show your agent, and they go, yeah, I really like this. And then more and more people like it, or they don't. And so you, but just focusing on making something better Trying. Trying is always better than not trying, Mm -hmm. even though it's painful. But it's it takes a lot of discipline and a lot of just forcing yourself to sit and type when no one's asking you to, when no one seems to care. It's super hard.
1: Yeah. People don't realize what's involved with writing, I don't think.
0: Well, how quiet it gets, how fast.
1: Wow. And it just when you're just sitting in your
0: house. Yeah, and you're just like, uh, And losing that confidence, like, it's one thing, I see it in rooms too, in myself. So you're in a room and you're all moving the ball forward and you're Mm -hmm. talking about stuff. Maybe it's 22 minutes. Like, just to give you an example, I was in the room for a bunch of seasons and then I had kids and they were Mm -hmm. flexible enough to let me work from Toronto. But even just being out of the room and we're, even though you've been on a conference call, you heard everybody, Mm -hmm. you spent three years in that space, you know, pitching in, knowing what the target yeah. was. You need the energy but of But as room. soon as it goes yeah. away, it's a Wednesday, and it's 9 o'clock in the morning, mm. and you know everyone's working in Halifax, and you're sitting in your house by yourself. It goes away. And it's quiet, yeah. And you can see it in other writers. Like after the room has broken up, like on Shits, we have a room for about 11 weeks, then everyone goes away and writes drafts. And you can see us all wander in our writing. Interesting. So the writing loses the tone of the show. And the more scripts that people write in that fallow period, the worse they get <laughs> and the more off target they become. Wow! So the best scripts are right after the room's just finished. So it's that collective mindset. So yes. it's very hard to conjure that up uh, without it, you know, when it's not there. And so mm-hmm. I feel like experience and doing it a lot of times helps. Like mm-hmm. I feel like now at this point, I don't want to be unemployed again for two years. I mm-hmm. think very much I would slide into a similar state, but I'm trying to I'm more disciplined and try and remember, you know, the rooms and the discipline that's required to put a show on the air and try and pretend that that's happening even when it's not. Mm -hmm. But we'll see.
1: Ellen DeGeneres does this great, she makes fun of not having anything to write about. Like she does a whole bit on procrastination Mm -hmm. on writing. And because I think, isn't that a part of it? Kind of putting it, or being diverted and having your attention diverted. And, you know, it's hard, like you said, to stay focused. And Uh I think it's, just celebrates how brilliant she is to even come up.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, you just have to keep plugging words on the page. I have a friend who's he writes books, but he has like a thousand words a day. Wow. He just makes sure that.
1: That he gets that out there?
0: Yeah, and then he, <gasps> then he quits. Oh, I'm stressed. Whether it's good or bad. Oh my. I think there's something to that. Whether mm-hmm. it's fixed hours in a chair mm-hmm. or whether it's words on a page.
1: Yeah, it gets everything moving, right? Yeah, and, and you creativity. feel like you
0: did something. You tried.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, this is the segment we do rapid fire. All right, and I ask you some questions. And first thing that comes to your mind, or something there about. So I
0: shouldn't think about them too much.
1: Nah, you'll okay. just know. Instinctively. All right, well, we'll see. Favorite late night host?
0: Uh, Letterman.
1: Yeah, he's a comics. Comic.
0: But that's partly just my age. I think I could probably like Jimmy Kimmel a lot <laughs> if I spent more yes. time. You know, like I, I just I haven't cut my teeth on enough of. people who are doing it now i mean i'm a big fan of john stewart too so yes stephen colbert there i i don't watch a ton of late night tv these days
1: you ever afraid of adopting or or, uh, an idea again we're going back to the premise yeah yeah
0: yeah sure i mean every time you come up with a show idea Mm. yeah you scour.
1: Where'd I you get know, it? <laughs> uh, well, you
0: scour vanity, uh, variety or, uh, yeah, um, uh, you know, deadline Hollywood and anything you can to see. Is there another show like this out there? Does this sound familiar? Mm,
1: that must be stressful. A lot of pressure. That's an excellent it point, depends. right there. Nobody I think you have to that.
0: do it early before you've spent a lot of time mm-hmm. on a premise. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, you gotta. I, I had a show that had a particular name, and then, uh, a show came. I, it's happened a lot. Like mm-hmm. I feel like it happens a lot. Going back to that idea of coincidental creativity, uh, and I don't have like a hu- huge career, but I've experienced it a lot. We we did a show called Dan for for CTV, mm-hmm. and there were some guys who said, "Oh, Dan for that's our idea." We even sent it to CTV, mm-hmm. and they had, and it was a guy named Dan, and he was the mayor, and they'd had this, they did these videos, but they'd sent it to. CTV after we'd pitched, they didn't know what was going on. They just got a letter back from CTV mm-hmm. saying, we have something very similar in the works. Thank mm-hmm. you for, you know, your submission. And then when it came on, they just figured, oh, they stole our idea, which is, you know, not a crazy assumption, but the way it works is, you know, they ha- these things happen all the time. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, you know, a person running for mayor who shouldn't be running for mayor, I, you know, it was my idea, and I don't. It happened admi- in real life in Toronto. To its originality. Yeah. At the time, there were three mayor shows. There was a kid who was mayor. There was mm. a woman who was mayor. There was Dan who was mayor. Like, mm. we weren't covering really fresh ground. Mm. So,
1: interesting. Yeah. Favorite joke or segment? Hmm. Someone else's or yours? Oh boy. Mm-hmm.
0: Um. Paul Mather wrote a lot of jokes that I really liked on 22 Minutes. Uh, so did Mark. Mark wrote jokes on the first season that I worked there. Um, this, the Ones that stick with me, there was one about a skier who skied down Everest. Mark's joke was next time he hopes to do it on purpose. <laughs> and then Paul had Paul had a number of jokes. There was one that I was like, I don't even know if it made it. It uh, had to do with, it was a wedding and they were taking a picture on a bridge of the wedding party, but they were too heavy and it collapsed the bridge and they fell into a (laughs) pool. And it was something like a combination. It was the first time as anyone had been able to achieve a surprise party, a wedding, a pool party, <laughs> and some other party. But I thought it was very funny. Uh, so those are the ones that I can't quite remember, but stayed yeah, with me when stays, we were right, writing. Right. And Stephen Wright, when I was growing up, I oh. thought his jokes were always... Oh. I loved his jokes.
1: They are standalone jokes because there's no delivery, and that is the delivery, and it's powerful, right? Just.
0: Yeah, and I... Mitch Hedberg also really made me laugh. I love his delivery and so I, I like rice when you want. It's either one thousand or two thousand of something. <laughs> it's a great snack. And then <laughs> and then what's the other joke of his? Uh I used to do drugs. I still do. But I used to do them too.
1: <laughs> I think.
0: <laughs> Anyways, classic I- Mitch Hedberg and
1: yeah, Very I love funny. I love asking comics writers these questions because I get something so diverse, like totally, you know. I, I think people are just fascinated when it comes to comedians and writers. How does your mind work, and what entertains and you is mm-hmm. surprising. I think
0: I have great admiration for people who can make you know create a really funny image in as few words as possible, and it's a uh, it's you know one liners jokes. They don't always make for a... like. It's always fun, and hearing a bunch of jokes in succession is fun, but it doesn't have the same life that a story will have. Mm -hmm. But I do like them.
1: Uh, I guess you kind of answered, uh, well, who's your comic influence?
0: There's a number of them. I have always been a big Woody Allen fan. Mm -hmm. That's probably waned a little bit, not for any reason, uh, other than I think I've changed more than... Woody Allen's changed, but I did. I've seen an awful lot of his movies, and I mm-hmm. used to really enjoy his stand up. It was really absurdist and goofy mm-hmm. and funny. Uh, and, you know, I've seen Louis C.K. perform a couple of times mm-hmm. live, and I've seen a lot of, obviously, his specials. I'm a big fan, but I'm more a fan of his stand up than his show. I, you know, his show's mm-hmm. great. But I find it a little I agree. sad and hard to take Dark, sometimes. dark, dark. It is. But his stand-up, he's always got this great big grin on his face as he's mm-hmm. telling you about molestation or whatever. And right. I love it.
1: He, I have to agree with that. There's a loss in translation. Do you think maybe people should stay away from sitcoms when it comes to that? You know, What, some you mean should, should he
0: not do that? No, I think it's a good show. It just depends what you want to immerse yourself in. I find it hard to immerse myself in shows that are too dark mm-hmm. I remember really watching a lot of sopranos during corner gas and I had to stop it just wasn't good for me and mm-hmm. like I'd try and write after that and I was like oh the world's a dark place yeah. it's hard
1: so <laughs> I kill you know, somebody yeah
0: it wasn't really helping me think small town fun
1: what's your best gig that you've ever done?
0: all of them I yeah, love I everyone I who's what ever hired thinking? me
1: what am I thinking and asking this ridiculous question.
0: Yeah, I'm, I've really enjoyed... What was the most
1: fun? I, I know they all are, but what... and um, They're fun in different departments. Mm-hmm. So
0: I really enjoyed Corner Gas, and I loved the premise and the characters and the setting, and I still watch the shows fondly, and we had fun. We You know, the writers, it was a good group of people, and we had fun. Um, there was some, you know, like any show, there's, there's stresses. But I, I don't find those outweigh, and then there's other times... You have a relationship with... I remember on Dan Vermeer, for some reason, the cast was really um, social and fun to hang out with. And, you know, that was mm-hmm. an aspect of that, which I haven't really experienced as much uh, on other shows. Not because the cast was... It was just, you know, personalities and whatever. Um, so I find different shows are good for different things. And mm-hmm. you definitely... I think anytime I always enjoy working in the writer's room because there's a level of candor and you can talk about anything and get things off your chest and uh, have a laugh about it. So that's the best part of the job.
1: So bucketless List gig, what, uh, you kind of touched on it, but what, um, what ultimately do you want to do in your comedy writing career? Um, Is there a sitcom out there now that you'd go, yeah, that'd be cool to write a couple episodes for? Oh yeah,
0: there's shows I really like. Like, you know some network shows.
1: Do you watch something and go, "Oh, I have this great bit that they should use on that show"? Like,
0: not usually. Big no bang
1: theory or something.
0: No, I usually just enjoy the show and think, "Oh, wow, that's really funny." <laughs> <laughs> I wish I'd thought of that. Um, but I mean, like I say, oddly enough, my my current ambition is to try and write a really good play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because there's so much money in theater, is there? Uh, no, no. <laughs> no
1: <I was> <laughs> but it's say. just
0: a—it's a form that's interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And I've, been, like I said before, having had a chance to work at Soul Pepper with Ints, like it's—it's it's an exciting environment. There's lots going on, you know. They mm-hmm. have actors and, uh, you know, all kinds of craft people around, and several plays going on at once. And I don't know; it seems live and exciting and when dangerous is a bit.
1: Kim's Convenience released on CBC when first episode. Uh is it going to be 2016? It's not confirmed,
0: it will be 2016 likely. Yeah. There's a chance it could be. I think it's September 2016 mm. currently.
1: Well, thank you Kevin White any final words that you would say to any aspiring writer?
0: Keep at it. Just keep at it. But mm. listen to people. You've got to listen to the audience. You've got to listen to the people mm. who read it. So many people just go, oh, "You don't get it. You don't get it." And it's like listen to what they're saying and listen to why they're having the reaction that you didn't expect.
1: That's the key to success, right? Mm-hmm. Comics, artists kind of dig in their heels and think, no, I'm right. Do you want to be right or do you want to be working?
0: Yeah, and I do you want to be truthful? Because I think part of the criticism is it doesn't work for someone else. Why doesn't it? It mm-hmm. could. It can. Just just try and get in the mindset of some other people to see your material more objectively and see if you can fix it. Mm-hmm. Most people bump on the same thing. Like I find notes very interesting when you send a script out to network and to producers and most people bump on the same thing. They might have different interpretations and they might say this, but you'll find that same bumps, same holes. Mm. Listen to those and try and fix them. They might not, the people commenting might not have the right solution, but you know there's a problem there that has to be ironed out. So,
1: Thank you. Final words. No thank problem. you, Kevin White. Congratulations. Pleasure. Looking thank forward you, to more you. work from Kevin White. Woo!
0: All right.
1: Fantastic. Thank you for listening to The Art of Comedy. I'm Sandra Carusi.
0: And here we roll the credits. Host Sandra Carusi. Research assistant Dayton Going to be a Star Hail. Contributor Christine Radio Star Cardoso. Studio producer Adam No Pants Zizzo. Executive producer executive-